0: And we start the show with some breaking news. The San Francisco 49ers have traded for Patriots backup Jimmy Garoppolo. And now we have some more breaking news. The Philadelphia Eagles have traded for Dolphins running back Jay Ajayi. Woohoo! What a trade deadline. Quality football players changing teams. Valuable fantasy assets showing up now on other rosters. Shake up. Shake up in fantasy football. So who is helped and who is hurt by these transactions? Everyone in San Francisco is helped. What about Carlos Hyde? Well, Carlos Hyde has helped more than anyone else. The problem with Carlos Hyde has been a lack of red zone usage because the team cannot matriculate the ball down the field. Now they have Jimmy Garoppolo, who has shown an ability to matriculate the ball down the field to efficiently complete passes in a way that extends drives and allows the team to score points. (laughs) And that's what you want, right? Isn't that the goal? He'll basically be doing what Brian Hoyer was doing before Brian Hoyer was unceremoniously benched in a misguided attempt to light a spark. The lightest spark fallacy where you bench the better player in favor of the inferior player. In this case, C.J. Bethard. And the offensive productivity and efficiency declines after the transition. Because, of course, you're going from Brian Hoyer, an established starting quarterback in the NFL who has led multiple mediocre offenses, which is a hell of a lot more than C.J. Bethard has ever done and or is capable of. After he wasn't even an efficient quarterback at Iowa. But genius coach Kyle Shanahan must have known something about C.J. Beathard drafting him in the third round. (laughs) Despite a 56.6 ninth percentile college QBR and a 7.1% 14th percentile college yards per attempt in a 21.8 22nd percentile breakout age yes so he's a very old inefficient college quarterback sign him up better yet let's draft him in the third round (laughs) what yes but it's okay, right? It's okay. Kyle Shanahan pounded the table for C.J. Beathard like he pounded the table for Joe Williams, and we know, right? We know it's a fact, indisputable fact. Kyle Shanahan is an offensive mastermind. He's a genius. Must be. Must be. Has to be. Did you see Atlanta's offensive productivity and efficiency in 2016? There's only one answer for that. It's Kyle Shanahan. It's not Matt Ryan. It's not Julio Jones. It's not Tevin Coleman or Devontae Freeman. It's, it's Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, the a guy on the sideline with the khakis talking into a headset, never touching the football. Clearly, he was the primary cause of the offensive renaissance that happened in Atlanta last year. Right? Yeah. Right? 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 Where's San Francisco right now? Where's the genius now? Where'd he go? Where is he? Anyone see him? Need a manhunt in San Francisco to find the genius because they're 0-8. What happened? What happened to the mastermind? Chip Kelly had a better start to his career as San Francisco 49ers head coach. So did Jim Tom Sula, and of course, so did Jim Harbaugh. Why? Because Jim Harbaugh in particular had better players. And when you have better players, see, they perform better on the field and they win more games. (laughs) The playbook caddy on the sidelines is not the one determining the outcome of the plays and ultimately the game. And they can sabotage it with bad clock management and cowardly decision making, particularly on fourth down. When to go for it, when to not go for it, when to kick field goals, when to go for touchdowns. The coach can certainly sabotage a team, but they're not the primary driver of the winning or the losing. That's on the players playing the game, touching the ball, moving it up and down the field. It sounds oversimplified and crazy, but it has to be stated because now we're hearing that the Oakland Raiders coaches are also getting outsmarted. That's the only explanation. How can a team be 12-4? and And now you look up and that same team or a very similar team with similar roster construction is 3-5. and They're in last place. They're tied with the Chargers. Ew! The coach must be getting outmaneuvered because these aren't human beings on the playing surface deciding the outcome themselves. Oh, no, 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 no. no! These are just proxies in a larger game, like a foosball game between the coaches. These are just static objects on the foosball table. That's all the NFL players are. The coaches are the ones turning the dials. Flipping the players round and round and round and round, determining the outcome of the game. Right? Right? Coaches are just playing a board game, playing a table game. They're in full control of the outcomes. I <laughs> mean, enough! Enough! I asked this question sincerely on these airwaves. When, not if, not if, When, when Kyle Shanahan fails in San Francisco, because John Lynch does not provide him with enough players with above average talent, the unqualified John Lynch, when this happens, can we be done, please, worshiping the coach, acting as if the coach has magical powers, this magical dust that he can sprinkle on the shoulder pads of his players and play better than the opposing players, execute plays in the West Coast offense better than other players. (laughs) Please, can it just end? Abolish the notion that the coach is the primary reason for the outcome of football games. They are never, ever, ever the primary reason for the outcome of a football game. Because to imply that is an insult to the players. The players who are actually risking the loss of limbs in the case of Zach Miller or eyes in the case of Joe Staley, risking their lives in a battle for real estate. Each and every play, 60, 70, 80 plays per game in some cases. It trivializes their contribution to the outcome of the game when the analysis of the performance leads with the coach. And then maybe mentions the players later. It is a plague in sports. Why? Because the analysts are uninformed. They don't know the names of the players. And they don't know how to measure the abilities of the players or the performances they're watching. So what do they do? They just default to either praising or blaming the coach. Because it's easy. And yes, I will admit, the coach matters. Of course, coaching matters. It doesn't not matter. I've never said it doesn't matter. You need competent play calling. It is a factor. Just ask Todd Gurley. But it is well down the list when stack ranking the factors that drive performance and impact the outcome of football games because all coaches run some version of the West Coast offense by now. And most of the plays that most teams run are well known by the opposing defense because their own team runs those same plays against them in practice the tony romo experience has showed us that this is the case there are no secret plays no special impossible to replicate schemes so enough with the coach blaming and coach worshiping allocate the credit where it belongs on the players the oakland raiders were a fraudulent 12 and 4 team all along that's the takeaway Not that they need better coaching. And Jimmy Garoppolo's success or failure in San Francisco should not be attributed largely to Kyle Shanahan. It should be attributed to Jimmy Garoppolo and his supporting cast. Because while Jimmy Garoppolo himself will have a significant say in his fate, of course, so will his offensive line and his receivers. Because imagine what Andy Dalton would be without A.J. Green. Imagine what Alex Smith would be this season without Travis Kelsey. Imagine Matt Ryan last year without Julio Jones. Matt Ryan and Julio Jones are both above-average talents in the NFL. Julio Jones is one of the best receivers in the history of the league. But the 2016 Falcons were the ultimate schedule and random chance-driven anomaly. That's the only way a team like the 2016 Falcons can exceed expectations... To such an extreme degree. And it's revealed in the point differential. And the yards. And the touchdown conversion rate. All unsustainable. All back down to normal levels this year. But that 2016 season wouldn't have been possible without very talented players. It's only possible when very talented players have a tailwind at their backs a friendly schedule, and random events and outcomes consistently breaking their way throughout the season. The fortunate circumstance is the primary reason why Atlanta succeeded so far above expectation in 2016. They also have explosive skill position players and competent play calling. It all matters, but the competent play calling was down the list. It was not the primary reason for the success. And we're seeing now what Kyle Shanahan looks like without a Julio Jones. And he's also been on the other end of the random chance spectrum. The San Francisco 49ers have been unlucky this year. So I think what's going to happen is that Jimmy Garoppolo will arrive in San Francisco and enjoy some unheralded weaponry. I mean, Pierre Garçon is one of the most reliable and efficient intermediate route runners in the NFL, the prototypical NFL flanker. You have Marquise Goodwin, who is a prototypical stretch X field stretcher on the other side. You have George Kittle, who is beating the odds having a productive rookie season at the tight end position, which you see very rarely. So all the receivers will benefit, but most of all, it will be Carlos Hyde. He's the underreported winner of this Jimmy Garoppolo trade. He has been the most unlucky of all the 49ers players. Ten goal line carries thus far. Ten goal line carries with Brian Hoyer and C.J. Beathard at quarterback. That's because he's logging a 72.8 snap share, and he's the between-the-tackles grinder. So, of course, he's going to get copious red zone carries, but 10 is number one in the NFL, and yet he only has four touchdowns. He has 25 red zone touches and only four touchdowns. He has the lowest red zone conversion rate among qualified running backs in the NFL. That is an anomaly. A running back that runs with as much force Combined with elusiveness, a 21% juke rate is top 30 in the NFL. And juke rate is evaded tackles per touch. So he is making people miss while running with great force. So that running back should be converting touchdowns above expectation, not below expectation. When running backs face difficult circumstances, we look at how many levers the running back has at his disposal to manufacture fantasy points. One of those levers are targets. Passing game activity. The other lever, red zone touches. Goal line carries. You may be having a challenging week, but you can make up for it with a couple catches and a goal line plunge. And that's what Carlos Hyde has on his profile. 46 targets is number four in the NFL among running backs. And his 25 red zone touches is number five in the NFL. Carlos Hyde has outs when he's not dealt a winning hand on a particular week with a bad matchup. Or negative game flow. He finds a way to score fantasy points anyway. He only has two weeks this year with less than 12 fantasy points. So I think the Jimmy Garoppolo acquisition will stabilize Carlos Hyde's fantasy point output and raise his ceiling. I think he's the big winner. And you can acquire Carlos Hyde inexpensively in all formats because he's only scored 14.8 fantasy points per game. That's number 12 among running backs. And he's viewed in Dynasty as a lame duck running back. So now is the time to go out and get Carlos Hyde. And I think Brian Hoyer is going to New England. Interesting that New England did not include Brian Hoyer in the deal. San Francisco offered to include Brian Hoyer in the deal, and New England said no 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 you can't you can't give us Brian Hoyer. No 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 that's not how this works. See, we're going to give up an asset in Jimmy Garoppolo. To ensure that we don't lose any compensatory picks in the future. If New England had acquired Brian Hoyer, they would have lost a future compensatory pick. Likely the compensatory pick they would receive from the Green Bay Packers for Martellus Bennett. The Patriots always have all angles covered. It's not enough that they might get the 33rd pick in the draft in 2018 they need to make sure they hoard as many compensatory picks as possible in the later rounds. The New England Patriots are just better at this than other teams. (laughs) Deal with it. And I like Jimmy Garoppolo. He looks like Tony Romo. That's his best comparable player on playerprofiler.com. But all we have is a small sample set from which to evaluate his NFL performance. So I don't know how good Jimmy Garoppolo is. 7.9 yards per attempt in four games last season. That's pretty good. Red zone completion percentage, 71%. Excellent. 57.1% deep ball completion percentage. So in the scoring zone, he was incredibly efficient. On deep passes, he was accurate. Four touchdowns and zero interceptions. Meticulously careful with the football. That's likely what the San Francisco 49ers were most interested in. The four touchdowns and zero interceptions. Four games, zero interceptions. Four games, zero interceptions. Then when they're in the red zone, what is he doing? Completing passes at a 71.4% clip. It's hard to have a more impressive audition for a starting job than that Jimmy Garoppolo four-game window. So I am highly encouraged by what I saw from Jimmy Garoppolo, but it was in the Patriots' system at the helm of a Super Bowl-winning offense. So I need to see more. Now, what about Philadelphia? Philadelphia gains Jay Ajayi. This is not good for Jay Ajayi, and it's not good for LaGarrett Blunt. The law of the conservation of opportunities suggests both players will be diminished in fantasy football after this acquisition. But I think LeGarrette Blunt will be the primary back. The Eagles have stated this publicly, and I have no reason to think that this is gamesmanship. Why? Because what do we know about LeGarrette Blunt? LeGarrette Blunt succeeds in the I formation. That's where he had success in New England with a fullback in front of him. Well, the problem is the Philadelphia Eagles don't have a fullback on the roster. And Carson Wentz is more comfortable taking snaps out of shotgun than he is under center. The Eagles have had one of the lowest percentages of snaps taken under center this season. And it has muted LeGarrett Blunt's fantasy football productivity because that's where LeGarrett Blunt wins taking snaps out of the eye formation. I don't know why the Eagles acquired LeGarrett Blunt in the first place if he was not a fit for their play calling tendencies. But now they have a running back in Jay Ajayi who is a fit for their play-calling tendencies. I believe they acquired Jay Ajayi to play him exclusively in shotgun formations, standing next to Carson Wentz. Jay Ajayi is very comfortable taking handoffs out of shotgun. And he's been very elusive. He's one of the best tackle breakers in the NFL. He doesn't need a fullback in front of him. So in essence, Jay Ajayi has become a satellite back plus to Garrett Blunt's between the tackles grinder in Philadelphia. They'll likely split the touches 50-50, and neither one of them will be a consistent fantasy contributor. It will depend on game flow. In a shootout, play Jay Ajayi. In a blowout, play LeGarrette Blunt. And I think there's an argument for playing both players on any given week because Philadelphia's schedule is about to turn positive, especially for fantasy running backs. They face Denver this week, but after this week, According to Warren Sharp, follow him at Sharp Football, the Philadelphia Eagles will face the easiest run defenses in the NFL, and it's not even close. So, one of the NFL's most prolific offenses is about to face the easiest second half schedule by far for running backs that makes both running backs highly fantasy relevant. In the second half, the Philadelphia Eagles will look a lot like the 2016 Atlanta Falcons. And the Atlanta Falcons supported two highly fantasy-relevant running backs last year in Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman. You will have a similar relationship in Philadelphia throughout the second half, but you know who won't be relevant? Wendell Smallwood. Wendell Smallwood's fantasy future has come to a merciful conclusion. Finally, I don't have to hear another word about Wendell Smallwood. (laughs) What about in Miami? (laughs) Oh, in Miami, all the running backs win, right? Oh, Damian Williams, yeah! Kenyon Drake, yeah! We won! We won! What the fuck did we win? Huh? What did we win? We get touches behind the Miami Dolphins offensive line. That's what we won. That doesn't sound like a win. That sounds like a loss. We get to operate as a key cog in the Miami Dolphins offense. How is that good? It's not good. This is not exciting. If you're a dynasty leaguer, you should not be acquiring either Kenyon Drake nor Damian Williams at cost. Not right now. Do not do it. Wait for one of them to be underutilized in week nine and then acquire that running back. In fact, that should be the tactic in all league formats. Do not go out and get either of these running backs now. Wait for one of them to be underutilized and then go acquire that one inexpensively, particularly in Dynasty, because these are eight-month rentals. The Miami Dolphins will be drafting a premium running back in what looks to be an exceptional running back class next season. Book it. Did you see what Sony Michelle did? The backup running back for the Georgia Bulldogs. We know Nick Chubb is excellent. We now suspect that Sony Michelle is also excellent. That's just one team in college football. Two excellent running backs, both weigh over two hundred and twenty pounds. Woo! As opposed to Kenyon Drake, because Kenyon Drake weighs two hundred and ten pounds, and it gets worse. He's a thin 210 pounds. He's 6'1", 210. That means his body mass index, his BMI, is 27.7. That's 7th percentile. (laughs) And BMI has been linked to running back longevity and an ability to absorb significant touches on an every week basis. I don't think Kenyon Drake can do that. He's not built for it. Kenyon Drake was a satellite back at Alabama where he posted a 12.9% dominator rating, 10th percentile, strictly as a receiver. He had a 9% 63rd percentile college target share. Neither one of those are impressive. 6.4 yards per carry is impressive on a very small Sample set at Alabama where he was never the featured running back. So, if you're not the featured running back in college, tell me how you're going to be successful as the featured running back at the professional level. Sony Michelle's parked behind Nick Chubb, and when he did get an opportunity to start at Georgia, he had a thousand yard season because he's big and explosive, over 220 pounds, and an above average BMI. Kenyon Drake ain't no Sony Michelle, but that doesn't mean the Dolphins coaches are not going to bequeath the starting job to Kenyon Drake and say, show me what you got, buddy, until you break down. They might do that. It would be wrongheaded, but these are NFL coaches we're talking about. Not exactly a bastion of rational thought, the NFL coaching fraternity. So I believe the Dolphins will initially feed Kenyon Drake a 60% opportunity share. Most of the early down work will go to Kenyon Drake even though he profiles as a satellite back. They have not used him as a satellite back yet, so I don't think they will use him as a satellite back in week 9 even though that's where he belongs. Again, this is the Miami Dolphins, one of the most dysfunctional franchises in all of sports. I would not put it past the Dolphins to install Kenyon Drake as their primary back even though he looks not like a primary back in the nfl zero primary back traits none zero zilch nada sure let's do it if the miami dolphins were being rational they would install damien williams the 220 pound running back with a more robust skill set as their primary back and then Kenyon Drake would be the third down back, the satellite back, maybe even their version of Chris Thompson. But in goal line situations, short yardage situations, in standard formations, you would have Damian Williams... In the backfield. But they're not going to do that. They're going to do the opposite. You know, all Damian Williams has done. Is produced when called upon. Now at age 25. With a 113.2 94th percentile speed score. At 222, And oh by the way. He's the best receiver in that Dolphins backfield. And it's not even close. I think in week 9. Kenyon Drake will be the running back. Behind Matt Moore in standard formations. And Damian Williams will be the satellite back. Damian Williams will be asked to catch more passes than Kenyon Drake, even though that's the opposite of the optimal allocation of talent on the roster. Again, this is the Dolphins. But that doesn't mean that Kenyon Drake is going to be a valuable fantasy asset. That's not what I'm saying. Because after one week, he could break down because he has a 27.7 BMI. And then you have Damian Williams as the primary back weeks 10 through 17. I don't know what's going to happen exactly, but that's my prediction. That Kenyon Drake is the back to own in the short run. But when you take a longer view, Damian Williams is the better back and will end up having the more productive fantasy season. But this is not the analysis that the mainstream fantasy experts in quotes are providing on Twitter because I've been reading the analysis from all the same cast of characters that we lament and criticize on this show. And I have created an amalgam of their analysis, their forecast for the Dolphins' backfield. Are you ready for this? Here it is. I mean, this distills it down. This is it. The most succinct version of the expertise in quotes that you read from the mainstream fantasy analysts at ESPN, NFL.com, and elsewhere. Each analyst more careful than the next, regurgitating the same useless analysis. Here it is, distilled. Kenyon Drake and Damian Williams will both be very, very busy, with Williams very good in passing situations. You get that? It's a lot of words to say nothing. And yet, and yet, somehow in saying nothing, it's wrong! It's mathematically impossible! Because if they're both very busy, what does that mean? 50-50 opportunity share split? Well, 50% isn't busy. It's the opposite of busy. It's not busy. If you're busy, you have a lot more than 50% of the opportunities. That makes you very, very busy. But if you're sharing the opportunities, you're not busy. Somehow said nothing while simultaneously being wrong. How? 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 That's what we get. How? If they're a committee of equals, neither will be busy. If they're on a losing team with negative game flow, neither will be busy. And that's the problem with Miami. It's not conducive for running back fantasy point scoring because it's the Dolphins with one of the least efficient run blocking offensive lines. They have a 16.6 run blocking efficiency grade on playerprofiler.com. That's 31 in the NFL. Why do you think Jay Ajayi was disappointing fantasy owners week after week? And Jay Ajayi is a talented running back. Jay Ajayi has an upper percentile college dominator and college target share, as well as great athleticism across the board at 220 plus pounds. And even he couldn't be a reliable weekly fantasy asset. You think Kenyon Drake's going to be that guy? No. So say that. Say don't overspend on Kenyon Drake. Rather than this false claim that he will be busy, as will be Damian Williams, which is impossible! It's just vapid, unfalsifiable, unhelpful proclamations. That's what we get from the fantasy community time and time and time and time again. And I know how you feel about it. You share your sentiments with us, particularly on Patreon, a safe space to share your sentiments. So go to patreon.com, search Podfather, sign up for the community, and not only get access to an extra show a week and a t-shirt or a hoodie, which you all know about by now, you get access to the user forums where you can engage with over 500 other like-minded fantasy gamers and lament the lack of conviction across fantasy football analysis. Because it is a plague. It's as if these analysts' sole purpose in life is to not give an opinion that can one day be traced back as wrong. Let me just stake out every position in this one tweet. And then in the process, mathematically invalidate the tweet. But regardless, it doesn't matter. I've staked out every position. I've hedged in such a way I cannot be held accountable by the accountability buzzards. You're so afraid of these accountability buzzards. I'm not afraid of them. They can't hurt you. Have you seen what Deshaun Watson's doing right now? And yet, I'm still here. I'm still standing. I'm still speaking in front of this microphone. So tell us what you really think will happen to Kenyon Drake and Damian Williams this season. I think Damian Williams will be a usable asset by the time the fantasy football playoffs roll around in week 14. I think by that time, he will have established himself... As the more durable, reliable, and capable playmaker in that backfield. I think it'll take a few weeks because the Dolphins coaching staff is so backwards, but I think eventually he will become the primary back. And even in one of the least running back friendly offensive schemes, I think because Damian Williams has an all-purpose skill set, as well as the size and explosiveness to absorb workhorse touches, that he can be what Jay Ajayi was. He can be a flex option in weeks 14 through 16. That's what I predict will happen in Miami.